0: Our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the privilege and the honor of gathering together as family this evening. Thank you for truth that continues to set us free, Father. Thank you for giving us the completed canon so that we might read it on our own time. Thank you for your Spirit's ministry in our lives. We know that He is there at our salvation to convict us, but also. Well after, during our sanctification, as Scripture states, he is the one that primarily sanctifies us. Thank you for his ministry in our lives, Father. Thank you most of all, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt, to make an evening like this even a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls, and may it challenge each of us as we hear your calling upon our lives, we ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the Gospel, of salvation, and sanctification, Part One, fourteen. Let's start with some scripture. Go to Second Thessalonians two, thirteen. Second Thessalonians two, thirteen. <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians 2.13. I want to show you something that uh, sort of stuck out to me uh, as I was studying uh, and listening to Tuesday evening's message. It's worth sharing, uh, certainly not disjoint uh, with our curriculum. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Now, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? For salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. I want to give you a little bit more granularity on that phrase, through Sanctification by the Spirit up here in the board. And I'm borrowing from McDonald. Uh, here we have the Holy Spirit's pre conversion work. He sets individuals apart to God from the world, convicts them of sin, and points them to Christ. That is really the gist of the conversion process, setting individuals apart from the world convicting them of sin, and pointing them to Christ, someone has well said, if it had not been for Christ, there would be no feast. If it had not been for the Holy Spirit, there would have been no guests. And that's well said. Let's read that again, verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification. Now, you might not have picked up on it yet, but I'm going to give you a clue here in a moment. By the Spirit and faith in the truth, it was for this He called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what really caught my attention in this verse on Tuesday was that salvation is through sanctification. Again, salvation is through sanctification, implying salvation as a function, even of sanctification, with regard to the Spirit's ministry. That's what Scripture tells us, implies that salvation is a function, even of sanctification. And the reason I share it is because I think a lot of believers don't have what many of you hopefully have by now that is, God's perspective. On salvation and sanctification. That shouldn't bother a person that's been sitting in front of this pulpit since last September at this juncture. However, before it may have bothered them, they would have said, no, 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 salvation's after, or sanctification's after salvation. But from God's perspective, that's not truth. From God's per- perspective, He saves and sanctifies. And from his perspective, that's what we see here. Salvation as a function, even, of sanctification. And as the result, these individuals that have this other way of thinking think that sanctification exists only after salvation. But as we just uh, saw in Scripture, that's simply not true. Salvation is said to be through sanctification by the Spirit and faith. So I don't want to get into that too deeply, but food for thought for some of you more mature listeners. With that said, I want to change gears. Again, that was just something that popped out at me uh, during our study from Tuesday. I believe the Spirit's Good Work, through Scott, put closure on the Giving the Gospel series, so I won't spend any real time reviewing that good work. If you did miss any of those lessons, however, please take the time to listen to them with that said i want to regain our footing on our primary course of study which by the way is just about completed we're on part 114 i can't imagine there being too much more left to it to be honest as of today it looks like just sharing here it looks as if the spirit will be guiding me to teach special topics moving forward in other words we may not be on a series for a while uh... which is likely due to the reason that after a year of one series the gospel salvation and sanctification you all have little holes uh... in your learning that could use a little patching up uh... we've covered folks we've covered a lot of ground uh... in this last uh, almost a year now the last hundred and fourteen lessons we've covered a lot of ground and when you cover that much ground specifically when you cover ground trying to establish a big picture sweep. You know, how often I took you back to the big picture. Don't forget the big picture. Well, anytime you spend any real time on the big picture, there's not enough time for all the little granular aspects. Uh, And so there's a lot of sort of leaps of faith that people have to make uh, to stick with that big picture perspective, which is understandable. But I think what he's going to do now is with some of those questions that may have come up in your own souls along the way that you sort of said, I'll put that aside for another day, I get the feeling he's going to sort of uh, attach our lessons to individual sort of filler-type situations. And so I'm just sharing that with you. Um, So you all have these little holes. Um, And I think, personally, this kind of an approach moving forward will be a lot of fun. I think we've been on one topic now for a very, very long time. Uh, I think there's going to be some, quote, freedom in the lessons in terms of uh, having sort of one-offs. Just remember, though, that he always has a curriculum for us, so we won't be freewheeling, so to speak, moving forward, uh, just departing from the hundred-and-plus part series that we've been on. So on that note, and this will make more sense by the close of tonight's message, if you evangelize someone, please tell them to start with part one of the series. I've had a, a multitude of people, probably for obvious reasons, since the Gospel Reload, come to me uh, as either new or coming back to the faith, uh, You know, having been distraught in earlier days of their lives, uh, coming from outside, never having been uh, to the ministry website. And I, I basically say, go to part one. Start where it matters the most. I mean, all these lessons are archived uh, on the website for a reason, and the gospel is the best place for a new believer to start. Okay? So keep that in mind as well. From Tuesday's lessons, uh, we were reminded of the following perspective up here in the board. A human being has never saved or sanctified anyone not themselves nor others. That is God's work. 1 Corinthians three seven. Again, perspective. A human being has never saved or sanctified anyone, not themselves nor others. That is God's work. And I don't know about you, but that sets me free. It takes a lot of the load off uh, of my shoulders, off of your shoulders, a lot of the burden someone might inadvertently take on. You know, because who doesn't want uncle jimmy saved who doesn't want their children saved who doesn't want their parents saved we all want the people we love to be saved but we can't save them and we might beat our heads against the the tar so to speak trying to get them to believe but it's futility the very best thing we can do is live our life as unto the lord and give him the gospel what else are we going to do and that's what the Spirit's been saying after all this good work on the gospel proper. Let's not get down on ourselves just because we have a better understanding of the gospel. Let's not get down on ourselves just because every uh, person that we couldn't evangelize before is now all of a sudden evangelized. It's amazing. I got the gospel and all of a sudden everybody's being converted. So don't do that thing. 1 Corinthians 3.7 seven. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. We have to remember that, else uh, we might become discouraged in the process of evangelizing. Possessing this truth as your own will set you free from the, let's call it angst, that some of you have regarding the Great Commission. How do I know? Because you've told me. Not everybody's doing cartwheels. This is what we're going to talk about this evening. Not everybody's doing cartwheels in the parking lot. Some of you are, which is nice to see, but not all of you are. And that's perfectly nice to see as well, because not everybody's meant to be doing cartwheels at the same time. Not everybody's at the same level of spiritual growth. So please always remember this simple truth that God causes the growth You will never save Uncle Jimmy or your kids or your parents or your friends or your associates. It doesn't work that way because we aren't God and we don't have the power to literally think about what happens at salvation. We don't have the power to literally transform a person to cause them to be born again. Speaking of, go to John 3, 3. John 3, 3. And all the Spirit's doing here is just sort of prepping us, padding our lesson as we depart. You recall even before I left and during my vacation when Scott was teaching, an awful lot was said about his ministry uh, in all of this makes total sense. Uh, we shouldn't get uh, lopsided with our doctrines. We always make sure that we are Following the convicting ministry of God the Holy Spirit. Doesn't matter if I go, go evangelize. My mother almost fell over. Sorry, Mom. I know you're getting old. And everybody's like, oh my God, he yelled. It must, it must be for me. No, I can yell even louder. But what does that mean? It's only the Spirit. The Spirit could softly say to you, and that is way more powerful than anything that would come from this pulpit, from anyone. And I need you to remember that. Otherwise, you're going to become lopsided and maybe even condemned. John 3.3 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I, said, I say to you, unless one is born of water and, a.k.a. even of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Up here on the board, just for a little clarity on that. Born of water and, and could be translated just as easily as even the Spirit. It refers to the spiritual cleansing and purification man undergoes at salvation, this is a supernatural act, not in evangelists. This is a supernatural act, not an evangelists. Only God can save or sanctify. So learn to leave that onus on Him. Learn to leave that on Him. Verse 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Is Spirit, do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. That verse may confuse some as well. So all really Jesus is essentially saying in verse 8 is you don't have to understand everything about something to know it exists and that it affects people. We've, I've actually taught you this maybe a couple of months ago. You don't have to understand every going on, or every goings on that the Spirit does in your life, even, especially not others' lives. But we know that He has an effect. <clears throat> so you do not have to know or understand everything to know that something exists and has an effect on people. That's all Jesus was saying. Again, up here on the board, born of water and even the Spirit refers to the spiritual cleansing, purification man undergoes at salvation. This is a supernatural act, not an evangelist's. Only God can save and sanctify, so learn to leave that onus on Him. And I love how simply uh, the Spirit stated this from the pulpit on Tuesday. This is quoting Scott. If God doesn't cause the growth, we might as well be watering a rock. And that's a true statement. Well, I mean, tech, I mean, could you not give a parrot the gospel? Could I not give this thing the gospel? Could I not speak the gospel with earnest to this thing? Yeah. If God's not going to make this thing saved, which he's not, then I might as well be talking to a rock. So it's a good point. If God doesn't cause the growth, growth we might as well be watering a rock. Our job is to simply present the gospel to others. But with that said, as the Spirit's been saying for a while now, the actual presentation of the gospel may take on a variety of different formats. Just read the book of Acts and try to find two cases described exactly the same. You won't. Yet, all those saved people and those different circumstances are indeed saved. Now, I think what we have to remember is that only God knows. Now, listen up. This is getting to the crux of this evening's message. We have to remember that only God knows how many pieces, for lack of a better term, how many pieces of the gospel a person has already heard before we show up to evangelize them. Only God knows whether or not a person accepts God, even, as real, and is now seeking a Savior. And only God knows the condition of a person's soil. This is why Jesus spoke the parable of parables, namely the parable of soils. It was to prepare His disciples for what they might encounter when they took on the Great Commission. He wasn't going to be around very much longer. But yet he was sending them out into the field to sow the gospel among a variety of soils, many of which don't want it. If you've lived in Massachusetts long enough, you know there's a variety of responses to the gospel. Everything from horrific, get get out of my face, to, yeah, 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 I already have a religion. To some other form of, yeah, whatever. I don't really want it. So Jesus was encouraging them for a variety of situations where a person hears the gospel, but may not be converted due to the soil not being ready to bear fruit yet. And that's the agricultural analogy. Go to Matthew thirteen three. That's the agricultural analogy. Matthew thirteen three, and it's called the parable of parables for a reason. Some people like to way overcomplicate this, and it doesn't need to be complicated. Jesus' parables, as I've taught you in the past, are not meant to be complicated. They're actually very simple. People like to hyperanalyze things so they're blue in the face and destroy beautifully simple things. And if you understand the context of what Jesus was saying to His disciples, who He was about to send out without Himself, then you understand fully what He was trying to convey in this parable of parables, the parable of soils. Matthew 13, 3, And He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, because, but because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, we know that Jesus was referring to the gospel when he used the word seed in this parable. Well, for a seed to bear any good fruit, it must have soil that it can survive in. It must have soil that it can survive in the point the Spirit's making here tonight is that only God knows the condition of a person's soil. Only God knows the condition of a person's soil. This is why the same, this same parable is often referred to as the parable of the soils, not just the parable of the sower or the seeds. It's really about the soil, isn't it? because it's the soil that varies vastly. And depending on the soil, that's what makes all the difference when it comes to actually bearing good fruit. So it's because of its, the soil that matters the most when the seed of the gospel is sown. Think about it. The seed is always the same, in this parable at least. The seed is always the same, but it doesn't bear fruit unto salvation, a.k.a. a crop, Unless it has been properly prepared, this soil. As we've noted in the past, the farmer must cultivate a field. This means what? Plowing it, hoeing it, uh, rotating fields, etc. There's a whole lot of things that can go on when preparing or cultivating a field, so that you can grow something like wheat. And if I'm not mistaken, the very next parable is the wheat and the tares, which is more, even more dramatic distinction between believers and unbelievers, by the way. But nonetheless, uh, this agricultural slash farmer analogy, uh, in that analogy, a farmer must cultivate a field before it is ready to bear a crop. So in our analogy here, we might call that out as the, for lack of a better term, conversion process. Conversion process, cultivating the soil, getting the soil ready. Some people, it takes years to cultivate. Why? They heard the gospel here. They believe that God exists, but I don't know about Jesus. So they started seeking, and they went this way and that way and got tangled up in some religious organization, got disenchanted, came back, this whole thing. Next thing you know, they go a different way. Eventually, seek and you shall find. They find the true gospel. They believe it. Their soil is ready at this point, three years later, five years later. Who knows? But the overall process was a conversion process. It's why some people can hear bits and pieces of the gospel truth long before they are actually saved. So, what's the Spirit saying to all of you? So, think of that situation as being out there. There's an abundance, a variety of different soils out there. And then so along comes you. (laughs) Along comes you, all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And you give them another, or yet another, piece of the puzzle, so to speak. Maybe they hadn't gotten the whole of it yet. Maybe they weren't convinced because, who knows, the people that were presenting to them were jerks. I don't know. Maybe there was a stumbling block there. I don't know. Maybe it never got that far. Maybe they tuned them out because they were jerks. Maybe these people didn't have any real love and they saw it. I don't know. But all I know is that, you know, one person come along and cultivate a little bit of the field and then go off and smoke the rest of the afternoon. And then the farmer come along and sow a seed and nothing happens. Or it sprouts up and then dies as soon as the sun hits it. So then you come along with another piece of the puzzle, so to speak. And lo and behold, the person's, let's say, the person's conversion is completed. Their soil is now fully cultivated, and the seed can take full root, which it may. And for those who have heard the word of Christ, the good news, the gospel, to them, it comes down to a heart issue, as we've learned. It comes down to a heart issue. You can have a fully cultivated soil, But the person still has to believe, still has to be humble, still has to receive the gospel as truth for them to receive that saving faith as we've learned. Now, with that said, the other point of reviewing or the other reason for reviewing these things we've already learned is that it's the word of Christ that is always necessary The Word of Christ is always necessary, so please don't forget that. The Spirit works with the Word. Go to Romans 10.17. Romans 10.17. Of course the Spirit's there during sanctification, salvation, but He works with something. He works with the Word. So says Scripture. We have to remember this. Romans 10:17. So our job is to give them the word of God, to give them the truth, not our opinion about things, not uh, you know extrapolating on things, not talking about you know even silly things like angels have belly buttons or not. Let's not complicate things. What does Romans 10:17 say? So faith, and faith, even saving faith, is included in this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So if you want saving faith to be imparted to an individual, it comes from what? As says Scripture, hearing the word of Christ. Now, I believe that this word of Christ phrase isn't strictly Scripture memorized and recited in the presence of an unbeliever. I believe the word is truth. I mean, heck, come on, folks. That's not even the original language. That you're reading, so even though you're, you know, you could memorize the whole Bible in English, it still wouldn't actually be the exact interpretation of the original language. So we know that God wouldn't cripple us this way. We know that it's about the truth. So as long as you're speaking the truth, that is the Word of Christ. You may not have the language of Paul or Jesus or your neighbor. You may have a, a let's face it, maybe you've got a better vocabulary that's used in the Bible, maybe a worse. Doesn't matter. As long as it's the word of truth, that is the word of Christ. So I believe the word of truth and the truth can be conveyed in a multitude of ways. And as the Spirit's been teaching us, no matter the words we use, we must we must have Christ's love up here on the board. This is the perspective he's giving us. He's saying, aside from you going out and memorize there's nothing necessarily wrong with memorizing scripture. If that's something you want to do and that's something you're comfortable with and and that seems to be your ministry, then fine. I'm not going to uh, ridicule you or, or tell you, you know, you're wasting your time. That's between you and the Lord. If that's what the Spirit's motivating you to do, then do it. Who am I to say? I don't know. Perspective. We must show love. Whether you're regurgitating Scripture or you're just relating to someone the truth about Jesus Christ, you must show love inviting others into our hearts, which is Christ's heart. But the gospel truth about Jesus Christ is still necessary for salvation. In other words, I can't just run up to a stranger in the park, give him a big old hug, and say, Jesus loves you. That may not be enough. I'm probably going to get hit, right? So maybe it's not advisable to do that thing. Or maybe I just give him a big old hug and I look at him and go, The word of Christ is still necessary. Please do not forget that. The gospel truth about Jesus Christ is still necessary for salvation. We never know how much the Spirit desires to, quote, fill in the blanks, which is why we let Him fill our mouths. Isaiah fifty nine twenty one, Mark 13, 10-11, Luke 21, 13-15. Go to Isaiah 59-20. Isaiah 59, 20, all the Spirit's really saying here is don't worry about being exact, but be correct, if that makes sense. Be accurate. You don't have to regurgitate Scripture. As I just described to you, English Scripture isn't even the original language anyway, so we've got to throw that out as some kind of a, you know, absolute home-run type approach. We know it's not. We have to have the love of Christ. And we have to present the word of Christ, and that is what the Spirit will use. Isaiah fifty nine twenty. A redeemer will come from Zion or come to Zion, and to those who turn from transgression and Jacob declares the Lord, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit which is upon you, and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, from now and forevermore. Go to Mark 13.10. Mark 13.10. This is part of the Spirit's ministry to, quote, fill our mouths with the right things to say. He's never going to call you out to minister to someone if he's not going to equip you to speak to them or to minister to them. He wouldn't do that to you. Mark 13 10. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is who? The Holy Spirit if he's going to bring you into a situation it may even be uncomfortable for you but if you know that it was him that brought you there then have faith that he will fill your mouth with the right thing to say always remember that God's ways are not our ways you have to remember that God's ways are not our ways he doesn't he doesn't calculate things the way man does While man is rational, listen, while man is rational, God is absolute. God doesn't need to rationalize anything. For His will is always perfect, and His will be done always perfectly. So you see, there's no rationalizing with God. His will, it happens. Why does anything happen in this world? Because God willed it so. God doesn't rationalize like us. Oh, man, sh- oh sh- should I do it? My will's saying this. I have two wills. I've split. I'm dipsuchas. I have two wills. I don't know what to do. I'll rationalize it, and then I'll justify it later. God doesn't have that problem. He's absolute. If it's his will, it gets done. Luke 21, 13. Go there. Luke 21, 13. So all the Spirit's saying on that point is that if He calls you out, and there's an if there we're going to talk about before I close, if He calls you out, then He will put the right words in your mouth. It might even be one of the ways you could tell whether or not uh, He did really call you out. Luke 21, 13, it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony to make up your minds, not to prepare beforehand, to defend yourselves. For I, think of Romans 8:9, the Spirit of Christ, for I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. So don't worry about it. Again, the point on the board, we're to approach others in love, inviting others into our hearts, which really is an invitation into Christ's heart, so to speak but the gospel truth about Jesus Christ is still necessary for salvation. We never know how much the Spirit desires to fill in the blanks, which is why we let Him fill our mouths. On a more practical note, as I reviewed this past couple of weeks of lessons, the following thought was given to me to share as well. The hands-on Spirit The Spirit isn't a pontificating snob, nor a helper who only teaches from afar. He is within believers, working, showing, prodding, moving, convicting. God the Holy Spirit's ministry is more like a vocational shop teacher than a college philosophy professor. And I hope that makes sense to you. If you've ever taken a shop class, it's learn a little, do a little, Learn a little, do a little. Learn a little, do it. That's a shop class. Go to a college philosophy class. "Mm, Let me tell you about Plato. And they just talk from like this precipice that's like a gazillion miles in the air down to you, and then there's never any practical application anyways. Philosophy majors tend to be completely confused about religion in general, but whatever. I'm digressing. Hopefully you get the point. The Holy Spirit's ministry is more like a vocational shop teacher than a college philosophy professor. And this is totally consistent with the essence of God. God's a hands-on God. God fundamentally is hands-on. Unlike the multitude of little g-gods, man has dreamed up over the years, even some so-called Christian gods, little g, are nothing like the god of the universe. Most religious, deceived, so-called Christians that I know of think of God as someone who sits up in heaven just watching and judging. Oh, oh, you tripped up. gavel came down on you. Oh, you tripped up. Most Christians that I know that are deceived, especially in this area, that's their god. And that's a little g. That's not my God. My God is a hands-on God. My God indwells me. My God helps me. My God ministers to me. My God even helps me pray at night when I'm a buffoon. My God reminds me that I'm a child of God. My God reminds me that God loves me, that I have a greater purpose than just this pathetic life that I live, that it's not about me. These are the things that my God reminds me of. My God convicts me. Even embarrasses me sometimes, shames me sometimes, makes me repentant. That's a hands-on God. No, 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 no. Just like a shop teacher. No, no, no. You're doing that wrong. You know when you got the wood upside down and backwards, you're like, yeah, and you lose a finger. You're like, what happened? I told you to put it in this way. You know, those people, the deceived ones, they say things like, oh, I, sure, God loves me, I know. But that love is distant and cold and uninviting, which is why many of these same people aren't even saved. They don't know God. For if they did, then Jesus is a liar. Go to John 8.18. Now you know we're treading on very dangerous ground. John 8.18 Oh, I know God. Are you sure? Are you sure? Because that doesn't sound like my God. John 8, 18. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. It stands to reason, that's not the only verse, that's just an example of a multitude of times that Jesus makes the same basic statement. You've got to know me to know my Father. If you know my Father, then you know me. It stands to reason that if a professing, quote, Christian doesn't know the Father, then they don't know the Son either, which means that their so-called faith isn't born of God. For example, up here on the board, knowing the Father, I can teach someone eternal security, but unless God the Holy Spirit endorses it, they won't ever possess the living hope. 1 Peter 1:3, 1, it provides aka professing unsaved Christians are insecure. It's one of the easiest ways I think for anyone to decide on their own salvation status. Do you believe the promises of God? Has He instilled them in you? Are they there or not? Are you just a professing windbag, like so many? Do you say you know God, but you hardly know His Son? Did you just believe the back of some coin and walk down some aisle somewhere, and then have someone pat you on the back and tell you, you're saved! Yay, I'll see you in heaven! Or do you have these promises? You know why? Because Scripture says you will. Not maybe. You will. Romans 8.16 The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So, with that said, I need to have a heart-to-heart with you, my dear sheep. Oh, man. Almost out of time. And I wrote a blog right before I left on vacation to prepare your own soils for this conversation. And if you haven't read the blog titled The Last One in Syndrome, then shame on you. I'm not looking at anybody. But I actually had someone tell me the other day they hadn't read it yet. And I'm like, come on, man. Seriously, you haven't read it yet? What's it take, five minutes? That was a gift through this vessel to you before I left on vacation. So if you haven't read it, I don't know what to say at this juncture. Shame on you. You deserve every form of insecurity on this topic I'm about to broach with you. And I say that with love, of course. So let me, get, let me begin with a little principle that I'm going to shamelessly steal from one of the so-called greatest golf coaches of all time, Harvey Pinnock, or Pinnick, up here on the board. He said this. He said, when I tell you to take an aspirin, please don't take the whole bottle. In the golf swing, a tiny change can make a huge difference. The natural inclination is to begin to overdo the tiny change that has brought success. So you exaggerate in an effort to improve even more. And soon you are lost and confused again. When I tell you to take an aspirin, Please don't take the whole bottle. This, my friends, is my greatest fear whenever I think about the newfound exuberance I see in many of you. On the one hand, I'm ecstatic. Of course I am. Just loving how much the Spirit is doing with you in terms of setting you free. And as Scripture teaches us, free what? To serve others free to serve others. And that's what I see. And it's been, frankly, it's been awesome. Wonderful to see. Can a pastor really hope for anything more? I don't think so. However, what I don't want to see is what I've already sniffed in a few of you. And that is, as Mr. Penick states in his little red book that outlined what he dubs practical golf what I don't want to see or hear about are people getting too amped up too quickly. Too amped up too quickly. Again, try to relate to what the Spirit's saying, even through the borrowed statement on the board. When I tell you to take the aspirin, or an aspirin, don't take the whole bottle. To borrow from the blog titled The Last One In Syndrome, up here on the board. This last one in syndrome, then, is merely a catchphrase for that phenomenon that sometimes occurs when a person has an epiphany in their life. I mean, we all have them. Who hasn't had a spiritual epiphany? Sort of this, you know, things. It's a st- I call it a step function, to be a nerd. But it's kind of like you're here at this plateau. All of a it's like, whoa! Right? Day before, it's like, it takes like a half a day. Like, whoa! All of a sudden, this perspective changing. Like, oh my, everything's changed. That's good. That person tends to become so wrapped up in it, especially immediately following the event, that they vomit their emotions all over those around them, not fully understanding the adverse effects this might have on others. My job as a shepherd, and I'm the only one in here, is to look out for everyone. This is how I'm built, It's my discernment. It's why I'm teaching you these things. That's my job. And this is why we're having this conversation. As wonderful as things is, things are going in this congregation, and I don't want them to stop. But I'm responsible for looking out for everyone in here. Everyone in here. Even the babies who are going to grow up in this congregation. What are we going to do? Tell a baby, hey, you're three grab the yoke you would think that would be a ridiculous thing to say but things like that can happen in other formats of course so not fully understanding the adverse adverse effects this might have on others while the intentions are good the results may not be living for others means having the wisdom to understand the nuances here. It means always considering others in whatever we say or do. That's why over time, when emotions die down, true wisdom sets in, and a person transitions from being a potential liability to the kingdom to an asset. So patience, my friends. Patience is so very important in times like these. And if you don't believe me, you are to imitate my faith. You don't think I see things long before you do? How could I teach you if I don't? And then guess what I have to do? In some of your cases, it's years. And I feel like going, why don't you see it yet? Can't we move on? Why am I still teaching this thing? Why won't you guys get it? right? Everybody's like, no. It happens. And then guess what I have to do? Patience. Patience. I have to wait. I can't expect everyone to see the things that I see. You can't expect everyone to see the things that you see. If you've had a step function epiphany, I'm all for you. I'm like one of your biggest cheerleaders, right? Seriously. But remember, We're a group of diversity. (laughs) There's a lot of us here. And not everybody's at the same place. So patience. It's quite possible. So I'm speaking to the others of you even. It's quite possible that God will convict you to wait on his timing to do this or that. Do not ever ignore his convictions. Whether or not it seems rational that you should be, quote, doing something. For example, pastoring or evangelizing, etc. It may make perfect sense. You read scripture, and says, there it is. Jesus said, go out and evangelize. Why am I not in Egypt right now? Why am I not in Africa right now? I should be selling the house, right? Lois, pack up. Let's go. Right? Lois is like, we can sell everything, just not the tractor. Right, Bill? Bill says Lois loves the tractor more than him. I don't know. Could be true, Bill. Right? I mean, come on, people. It's wonderful what's sweeping across the congregation. But again, it's my job to make sure that things don't get lopsided. People don't end up stumbling. I don't want that to happen. And remember this as well. The point on the board, again, is for those who may not be convicted yet to do certain things that you see. I asked DJ, I said, anybody else take the yoke? No one. What do I say? I go. I said, no one's ready. No one has that on their heart. No one's strong enough. <laughs> Ooh. Anthony's like, oh yeah? I see I'm baiting you, Anthony. Anthony's out there tomorrow. <laughs> no, really. I mean, come on. I only put it there if you want. it. Fine, go use it. Right? I mean... Just remember this, all right? Just remember this. Because there's this huge groundswell going on in the congregation. Remember those who are teaching you and that they are teaching a very broad range of believers. So make sure that you're convicted to do whatever it is you're, you're thinking of doing. And you have to pray on it. Don't, I mean, like I, like I screamed earlier, go evangelize, right? So, so, I mean, I suppose if you're going to be encouraged by anyone, it should start with the pulpit, right? But nonetheless, I'm still a human. I'm still excited about things going on, even in my own life. I might say, oh man, it was so awesome. I was carrying the yoke, and did I tell you it's available to walk Walker? I was carrying the yoke, and people are beep, true story, people are beeping, waving, right? Some kids yelled at me. One guy on a motorcycle almost hit me on purpose, I think, Right? and I'm like, whatever. Wonderful things going on. But I'm not going to sit there and say that you are to do that thing unless God the Holy Spirit says to you, hey, grab the yoke, give it a whirl. I don't want you to. I really don't. I don't want you to go out there unless God the Holy Spirit says go out there. I don't want you to go to the park with Scotty unless God the Holy Spirit said to you personally, go to the park with Scotty. I'm telling you to do it. Unless that happens, don't do it. Let me give you a little more context on this heart-to-heart we are having here, up here on the board. There's been a lot of things. Anytime I leave for you know, a, a period of time, he, he, he presses things into my soul that I have to share with you. This is another thing. Related, the local church. Once a person is saved, their first objective is to keep on learning the word of God. Just imagine the attacks that come on a person who is just saved. If and when we evangelize someone, we ought to encourage them to attend a sound church under a sound pastor, such as with North Christian Church. That's what we're here for. We're here to help equip believers to do this thing. So our relationship with new believers shouldn't end after the gospel presentation. You should sort of say, hey, wait a minute. Now, you know, if you're truly saved, before you get flooded, before you get dragged away, and before you get beat up by the world, blah, blah, you need to start learning the word of God. You've been born again. Find a place. We need to do this thing as advocates. So that's what the local church is for. We should be bringing people back here, saying it's wonderful. you got the gospel you think you're saved. That's awesome. Now learn the things that I know. You want to be encouraged, come to church. Be equipped, like Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 says. Those verses don't exist because they're fun to have. They exist because they're there for a reason. That's how God equips us. Think about how all of you, even especially you hyper-exuberant ones right now, how did you get there? How did you get there? So secondly, and arguably just as important, do not forget where you came from. God prepared all of you for the battlefield. Consider how much work has been done inside these four walls. Do not forget where you came from. North Christian Church is like a FOB, in the army speak, forward operating base. Soldiers must be trained and retrained, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, after they are enlisted. Do not forget where you came from. Remember why you're so exuberant Remember all the good work that has happened inside these four walls. Remember what the Spirit's been telling you for years. Oh, but I read my own Bible now. Yeah, where'd you pick that up? Seriously, where did that come from? This pulpit. It has nothing to do with me. He's telling me to make a point with you. Do not forget where you came from. Do not forget the importance of this thing. Let me put it this way. If a soldier completes boot camp, then disappears into the field for the next 20 years, then returns, he will be confused about the mission. He's probably going to be a little loopy. If a soldier completes boot camp, then disappears into the field for the next 20 years, when he returns, he will be confused about the mission. So here's the perspective the Spirit is trying to give this. I, I always think of you guys as SEAL Team 6. I mean, we have a special calling on us. We were in this triangle of, and we're now going out actively, locally, to the mission field, which is wonderful. But He's making sure that you don't lose your grounding, you don't forget where you came from, you don't lose your footing that you understand the importance of a local assembly, even. So consider North Christian Church as your FOB, your FOB, and the battlefield outside of these four walls. Let me give you, Wikipedia calls a FOB, just so you understand what a FOB is and what he's trying to say. A forward operating base is any secured forward military position Commonly a military base that is used to support tactical operations, a FOB may or may not contain an airfield, hospital, or other facilities. The base may be used for an extended period of time. FOBs are traditionally supported by main operating bases that are required to provide backup support to them. Maybe you think of that as heaven, maybe. I don't know. A FOB also improves reaction time to local areas as opposed to having all troops on the main operating base. Joey was in a FOB in Afghanistan. It's just a small sort of cordoned off military base because it's sort of in the almost like right on the fringe of the battlefield that it's easy to kind of go out and come back and go out and come back and go out and come back and go out and, back, and, go out and then you know, requ- get more ammo, take a rest. You know, train a little bit, I don't know, you know. And then go back out and come back. That's the value of a church. What the Spirit's asking me to convey to you is simple. Take a single aspirin, not the whole bottle. You're not Rambo. Take an aspirin, go out there, come back don't take the whole bottle. God, think about it. How long has it been since you got to this point? Some of you like, Bill's like, man, like 120 years. It's been a long time. God doesn't rush things. He doesn't have to. Think about that. God doesn't rush things artificially. And if you're looking at those around you, be it myself or Evangelist Grande or even someone outside of this ministry, that you respect. Maybe it's another pastor you've heard or listened to from time to time. Just remember that we all have many years of ministry under our belts and individual callings as well. And just because God has called us to sound the alarm, I mean, just to share with you, it seems pretty obvious that God the Holy Spirit's sounding the alarm uh, at the fobs saying, hey, we need to go out, like, now. We need to go out there and spread the good news. Uh, Let's do this thing. But just because he sounded the alarm, you still might or need to discern what that means to you personally. That's what he's saying. I can scream and yell. Scott can scream and yell. Someone else can scream and yell and tell you about all their success stories, and you might be like, gee, I don't have any of those, and how wonderful it is to be spreading the good news and you know, talking with this person and talking with that and All these wonderful stories about carrying that anchor over there, and all these things. But if it's not for you, it's not for you. Do you understand? I don't want you... All right. You got to... Yeah. Nobody's got major coffee problems, do they? One of the greatest tragedies, tragedies that the Bible counsels us against is encouraging someone who's not actually being led by the Spirit to do something that others might be led by the Spirit to do. 1 Timothy 3.6, I was going to have you go there, but for the sake of time. And not a new convert. In other words, don't do this. Don't put a guy behind a pulpit that's a new convert so that he will not become conceited, proud, and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. (laughs) That's how severe it is. Trying to do something that you haven't actually been called to do. You see, pride is what falsely motivates people outside of God's will. Pride is what falsely motivates people outside of God's will. This is the case if, for example, a person gets sucked into the, to use a NASCAR term, the draft. Of those whose lives are changing before their eyes. Let me let me just end with this then. And I do hope you appreciate uh, what he's been saying. Do not confuse encouragement from others as commandments from the Spirit. Do not confuse encouragement from others as commandments from the Spirit. I've been encouraged to do a lot of things in my time, and I'm like. Uh Uh-uh. I know that's not for me. At least not now. Sometimes I'm like, that's never going to be for me. I don't even know if it's for you, my friend. So encouragement comes (laughs) in all shapes and sizes. So do not confuse encouragement from others as commandments from the Spirit. Conviction to do in the spiritual life must be from the Holy Spirit, not man. While encouragement is good, Hebrews three thirteen, for as long as it's called today, we mustn't try to mimic another's calling. Please don't do that thing. Doesn't matter if I stand in my head, spit nickels. Uh, you know, you're just so impressed with you know my encouragement and all the time. Well, I just want to be. I just want to be like that. I just want to be like that. But you're not me. You don't have my calling. I don't have yours. I'll give you the one last thing. It's important. And this is just me being totally transparent. And I'll be the first one to tell you, I have failed in this. I know I have. So there, sue me. (laughs) What are you going to do? What are you going to say? I've never failed encouraging someone. I've never said, hey, you should do that. And then later I'm like, oh, crud. I've actually put people in positions in the ministry that I said, oh, crap, they shouldn't be there encouraging them. Do you know what I mean? Saying, Oh, do this thing, do this thing. Or, or say, you know, go do this thing over here, or go do that thing over there. And then I find out, I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. They listened to me because they trusted me. You know, they had a certain, I had a certain stickiness with them. And since I asked them to do it, they kind of did it because they respect me or love me. And then I'm, later on, I'm like, oh, probably shouldn't have encouraged them to do that. Now they're miserable. Man fails encouragement. Since man is flawed, he tends to overstep his boundaries when trying to encourage others in the spiritual life. So here's my guidance, and I swear I'm going to (laughs) close. It's important. You see, I couldn't drop this, right? I mean, I couldn't. There's no way. I had to finish finish the sentence, right? Since man is flawed, he tends to overstep his boundaries when trying to encourage others in the spiritual life. Receive encouragement, but diligently sort it out with the Spirit. Before doing anything. Do we agree? All right, amen. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of studying your word here this evening. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you for truth that continues to set us free. And thank you for keeping us on the straight and narrow with spiritual gifts like this one. We ask for your blessings as we take those things that we've learned, those precious pearls of wisdom that you give us from this pulpit out to a lost and dying world, Father. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Amen.